Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Wednesday, April 6th. We begin with a look at the state of COVID-19 in the UK, where new cases have risen to record levels. We get an update from Kenny James, UK broadcaster and business owner. Next, we look at new polling numbers released this week that show Premier Jason Kenney with an approval rating of less than 30%. We speak with Dwayne Bratt, Professor of Political Science from Mount Royal University, on what the future holds for Kenney and the UCP party as a whole. Then we examine the current tax policy in Canada and whether increasing taxation on high-income earners is the answer when it comes to expanding social programs. We discuss the topic with Ben Eisen, Senior Fellow from the Fraser Institute. And finally, would having your pet in the office make it easier to go to work every day? According to a new survey, 60% of pet owners are seeking pet-friendly workplaces. Could they become the norm to help companies retain employees? We discuss with one of the researchers behind a new study. COVID-19 cases in the UK have again reached record levels with about one in 13 people estimated to be infected with the virus just in the past week. To discuss the current state of COVID in the region, we are joined by UK broadcaster and business owner Kenny James. Good morning to you once again, Kenny. Good morning, Andy. Well, let's talk about, we, we can see the numbers, 1 in 13, as the estimate. What are you seeing, Kenny, and are residents concerned about this rise when it comes to the variant? It's a strange one, Andy, you know. Uh, the rate of infections in the UK growing quickly, as you said. Uh, 425,000 new cases reported week before last in the UK. Uh, almost 1,200 deaths. But all of a sudden, the number last week has started to fall it's the same week that the UK government stopped free COVID testing. The number of cases dropped by 38% last week. And in fact, some experts are now saying that the daily counts we've had over here for the past couple of years have now become completely irrelevant. Same for us here, Kenny. They're just, you know, decided, uh, let's just not keep track of things anymore. It makes it sound better, I think, in the long run. So, I mean, do you think the majority, do stats show the majority of people are vaccinated? And this is just another variant that's kind of hitting hard, but they're minor cases compared to what they were at the beginning of the pandemic? Yeah, I think, Sue, that vaccinations over here, you know, grew very quickly on people went and, and got their, both their vaccinations and their boosters, although some people have had that have ended up having COVID three or four times. But uh, Omicron is much less likely to cause serious illness or death. And the UK government even now admits that it's no deadlier than flu in most cases. And figures out last week showing that more than half of UK COVID patients in hospital are primarily being treated for something else like broken bones. With the, with the rise in numbers, Kenny, I'm wondering, though, is there any talk of new restrictions being imposed or any precautionary measures? And I think the government over here really don't want to do that. <clears throat> We're trying to get back into into some kind of normal life. Um, mandatory self, self-isolation rules are dropped over here now, so if you test positive, you advise to stay at home and avoid contact with people. The new line here from the government is that we're now in the stage of living with covid uh, Kenny, how about the uh, the healthcare system then? It holding up okay in terms of you know people having to be admitted to ICU, et cetera? Because that's what we watch here in Canada. I'm sure it's the number that you watch in the UK as well. Yes, when it first happened, of course, and with the stronger variants, the worry was that the hospitals in the UK and the health system here would be overrun and wouldn't be able to cope. And hence they built these big hospitals called Nightingale Hospitals, which could take three, four, five thousand people if needed. Um, but 
they were never used. So it's, and with the new, the Omicron virus, it being uh, less strong than the, the other viruses, it's at the stage now where the people are in hospital for shorter periods of time and not needing the intensive care treatments you talk about. Let's uh, t- talk about the economy and the bounce back of businesses that were impacted during two years of the pandemic. Kenny, uh, how is that bounce back? How do you see business levels as of today? Business depends what kind of business you're in, Andy. Um, we're, we're in hospitality here, and we were hit very hard, obviously closed for long periods of time. Um, the Chancellor gave us some uh, help, help in the way that reduced uh, some of the taxes that we paid along the way. But as of 1st April just gone, everything's back to the way it was before. So a lot of businesses are going to find it hard in the next three to six months to, to recover and pay back some of the, the debt that they incurred over the previous two years. Well, Kenny, we usually watch what's happening in the UK as a sort of a precursor to what we're going to see here in Canada. So thanks for the update on that. Before we let you go, just wanted to pivot a little bit and talk about the war in Ukraine and Boris Johnson speaking out this week, addressing the citizens of Russia in a video message. And boy, he didn't pull any punches on that one. Did you see that and and his message to the Russian people about history remembering who stood up and who didn't? Yeah, he's been quite open and quite forceful in the things he's been saying. So funnily, in the UK, he's getting a lot of criticism for not being strong enough. And outside the UK, he's getting a lot of plaudits for, for being quite strong. So he's, he's in a, a no-win situation, really. But the people over here, the, obviously, same as in Canada, I guess, the, the, the residents in, in, in the UK are very strong and very supportive. Uh, and part of us wants to do more. But because of the NATO situation, of course, they're a bit hamstrung. And what about the sentiment of the people in general, Kenny, that you're coming into contact with or perhaps see on social media in that, you know, so close to conflict 80 years ago and in many conflicts that the UK has been involved with. Um, you've got the older set who understand what that's all about and you get the millennials saying we have no idea, you know, what exactly is going on. It's got to be an interesting, you know, time to be in the UK. It's interesting, Andy, because we, because we have social media now, which we, we never had before when these situations are happening. And I think many people thought that uh, the idea of what's happening now uh, went away in the 70s and it was never going to happen again. So we're seeing things in real time. And, and, and of course, the, the, the president over there is such a, 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 a ever-present face on television and, and media here and, and telling it like it is. So it's been interesting, as you say, the older people remember what it was like. The younger people are, are in a state of shock, I think. Thank you so much for your thoughts this morning, Kenny. Always appreciate talking to you. Stay safe. Cheers, guys. Thank you. Kenny James is a UK broadcaster and business owner. We've been chatting with him, you know, throughout the past couple of years, talking about what's been happening in the UK, because we do seem to see, uh, you know, it's very um, pattern-ish. Is that a word? Where we, uh, <laughs> we uh, you know, in Canada experience what the UK has experienced just a, a little bit later on. So it's interesting to see still no appetite in the UK for any kind of restrictions or anything like that when it comes to COVID. And I think it's pretty much the same thing here. And when we talk about Boris Johnson with the Russians, did you see him speak or hear him speak? No, I did not, no. He was passionate, Andy, and he talked about how Russians, and he actually spoke in Russian, and he told the Russian people that they should be getting the facts for themselves, not listening to what Putin is spreading, the, the misinformation. He told people to go and get themselves a VPN connection so that they could bypass the Internet controls in their country and find out the truth. Because history will remember who did and did not stand up for what is happening in Ukraine right now. That's really interesting. And that VPN connection piece, that, that is huge in the sense that it's, it's fine to get these, to deliver these messages, to put yourself up front as a leader like Boris and, and at the same time, you know, uh, uh, direct a message to a certain 
niche, well, the, the Russian people that are regular Russian people. Mm-hmm. It's another thing for that message to be received. And you think about how much of that Iron Curtain remains intact and how many holes are in that curtain. And I think that social media and the millennials are helping to put some holes yeah. in there. Yeah. Uh, but it's huge. Wasn't it you telling me that uh, they were trying to find a way to perhaps get the message to the parents of Russian yes. military members? And that's one of the things that they've done is the images. And I think it was uh, President uh, Volodymyr Zelensky making sure that those images are available. They want to show, for example, the carnage and literally a lot of the images that have been censored. And, and giving because, those images yeah. to the parents of Russian soldiers this to show that this is what your children. kids are doing. Um, it's a wow. powerful time. Uh, so it's, it's, it's neat to pivot and talk to, to Kenny about what's going on in that front as well. And mm-hmm. uh, always great to ch- check in with broadcaster and business owner Kenny Jane. As we brought to, to you earlier in the program, new polling numbers show that Albertans are willing to vote UCP if the party is led by someone other than Jason Kenny. With insight into the plummeting approval numbers for the premier, now less than 30 percent. We are joined by Dwayne Bratt, professor of political science at Mount Royal University. Good morning to you, Dwayne. Hey, Andy. Dwayne, I don't think these numbers are terribly surprising. Uh, do you? No, they're consistent with other polls that we're seeing. The The difference is they explicitly ask the question, would you support the UCP under a different leader? Um, previous polls have implied that because Kenny's approval rating would be at one level and the party would be at a higher level. But this one actually asks that question. It shows a huge gap, not just amongst the regular public, but especially amongst UCP supporters. Well, do you think Jason Kenney stands a chance of surviving? And if he does, is that handing the keys to the province over to the NDP? What does survival need? Mm. I mean, that's one of the, the, the questions. Could he emerge uh, on May 18th with a, with a technical victory? In other words, uh, support over 50%. Absolutely, he could, uh, because we're seeing lots of machinations with with rural changes uh, and changing of the uh, chief returning officer for the party uh, that all seem to benefit the premier. So, yeah, he could come up with a number like 58, 62, what what have you. The question is whether he can still keep that party together. If the 40 percent of the party that votes no including MLAs who have explicitly called on the premier to resign. I don't think they're backtracking on this. So this, unless he gets below 50%, um, the, the drama is going to continue after May 18th. And I would also say, you know, if you look back to the 2019 election, that election wasn't won or lost during the 30-day campaign. Um, you know, the, the, there were polls at the beginning of the campaign that showed a majority UCP government, and there were polls a year from that election showing the same thing. The result was baked in. Do you see a name of a candidate under the UCP tent, a potential candidate that could save the party and, and actually go ahead and win the next election? Well, and, and that's the real challenge, because there is no leadership race at the moment. There's only a leadership review. So... We've had two people, Brian Jean and, and Daniel Smith, two former Wild Rose leaders, come out in opposition to, to Kenny. Uh, and they're coming from the same lane. They're, they're, they're coming from the, the right, largely rural right. But we haven't seen someone from Calgary or someone from Edmond or someone from the more moderate or progressive conservative wing come open yet. And that's because we still have a premium. We still have a leader. Um, some of those people may be in cabinet. So we're not going to discover those names until afterwards. 
But I think the bigger question is not who can lead the United Conservative Party, but whether it can remain united or whether it's just going to splinter. I mean, it's only a couple of years old. They had been at competing parties for a long period of time. What brought them together was losing the 2015 election, losing to the NDP, losing to Rachel Notley. Is that enough glue to keep them together right now? I'm not sure it is. And Dwayne, you mentioned a couple of names, Brian Jean, Danielle Smith. You know, if those are the only two names that pop up and we seem to like to look in the rearview mirror in this province when it comes to politics, you wrote a pretty scathing article about uh, Danielle's you know, improbable comeback from, from what happened back in 2014. Your thoughts on either of them? Yeah, I mean, their support, <clears throat> I don't think, is about Brian Jean or is about Danielle Smith. But what they're doing is articulating the anti-Kenny sentiments. Um, and so I don't think there's, you know, a great love in for Daniel Smith. I think uh, uh, Brian Jean does have love in Fort McMurray, whether that can transcend in the rest of the province. But he is highlighting issues with the with the premier. And so the question becomes, if it becomes a full race, um, you know, what are his chances now? Even another head to head between Brian Jean and, and Jason Kenney, uh, because right now the the vote is not. Jason Kenney versus Brian Jean, or Jason Kenney versus X, or Jason Kenney versus Daniel Smith. It's Jason Kenney, yes or no. And that is why I think Kenney would perhaps even prefer to have another name for him to say, it's not me versus perfection, it's me versus someone else. And I know we're not exactly weeks away, but more measured in months. Does Rachel Notley have enough support to get another win if it gets down to that uh, uh, that wire and uh, things don't shake up and they don't get their ducks in a row for the UCP? I think she does right now at, at this moment in time. Um, and what would benefit her is what benefited in 2015 is is a split within the Conservative Party. Um, you know, I, I often use an old expression from the French president, Francois Mitterrand, in the, in the 19, early 1990s when he talked about German reunification. He says... You know, he loved Germany so much, he liked having two of them. I think Rachel Notley loves conservative parties so much, she would like two of them, or three of them, or four of them. <laughs> Thank you, Dwayne. Always appreciate your insight. Okay, you're welcome. Thank you very much. That is Dwayne Bratt. He, of course, professor of political science at Mount Royal University. Here's a quote. To generate sufficient revenue to significantly increase federal spending, Ottawa must raise taxes on Canadians across a broad income spectrum, not to just top earners. That quote comes from a new study from the Fraser Institute ahead of the 2022 federal budget being released on Thursday. To discuss the findings, we're joined this morning by Ben Eisen, senior fellow with the Fraser Institute. Good morning to you, Ben. Thanks for being with us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Okay, so can you break down uh, what the Fraser Institute mm. found a little bit in this study then, to be, as, just, just to kind of kick things off? Yeah, well, in, in sort of the broadest possible terms, what we looked at is um, if you want to substantially increase the size of the federal government, so without saying whether that's a good idea or a bad idea, if you want lots of new initiatives, uh, bigger spending on various items, whatever they may be, um, we asked ourselves the question of, is it possible to finance that realistically simply by taxing upper income earners. That's what you always hear. That's what the most common refrain is. It's obviously very politically popular. We're going to do these new things, and how are we going to do for it? Well, we're going to tax the rich. And what we looked at is, 
How plausible is that? If you look at personal income taxes, if you look at corporate income taxes, uh, various forms of trying to tax uh, tax the quote-unquote rich, how much money can you generate? And the, the simple fact is you can't generate enough. There's not enough of them. There's not enough money. And and the and, and making sure the taxes that you try to apply to them don't don't actually touch other people is so hard that it's just not realistic. The reality is that there's no free lunch. If you want... Uh, significantly more services, significantly larger government, you're going to have to pay for it. I mean, you're going to have to pay for it. I mean, it's not just rich people that are going to be stuck with the bill. It has to be paid for across uh, the income spectrum, including middle-class people. And Ben, I would also think that if you have, uh, if you're one of those top personal income, income tax rate of gatherers, if you will, you probably have the means to decide maybe to not live in Canada. So I guess that would be one of the uh, the rub there, you might uh, have somebody saying, I'm not going to deal with this. Here I go. I'm moving. Well, that, that's a really important point. People are mobile and capital is mobile. People are able to uh, claim claim income in various jurisdictions, especially if they have sophisticated tax planning, as lots of high-income people are. Uh, and as you correctly point out, people have choices about where to live. And so as you get you know proper individual taxes high enough, uh, almost every Canadian province, federal, uh, provincial tax rates are already um, combined at about 50% or even a little bit higher in a lot of places. Uh, so the, the idea that you can keep going and there's a lot of, for more room on that tax to keep turning the dial, generate more money from those people to pay for more and more government, uh, the evidence doesn't support it. The last couple tax increases don't seem to have generated very much revenue, partly for the reasons you raise. Uh, and it's just, it, it, you're already over 50%. You're exactly right. You reach a point uh, where it makes sense for people to work less because each additional dollar is generating so much less revenue for their own bottom line, or even to go ahead and say, you know what, I'm going to work and live in a lower lower tax jurisdiction. So you make a really important point. Ben, what did the Fraser Institute find when it comes to potential business tax increases? Well, this is a, this is another one that's really uh, important for people to understand. The, the argument is often we're going to try and uh, generate money from from rich folks, so to speak, by increasing corporate income taxes. But it is not that simple. Um, whenever we look at taxes, we have to look at something called tax incidents. That means what people actually wind up paying tax, and it's not always who we want it to be. And so the evidence from across the world, uh, no matter – and this is not a point of dispute – is that business taxes aren't simply paid by the owners of businesses. They're shared between the owners of businesses and by labor uh, in the form of reduced wages. And that just makes obvious sense. People, companies, everyone reacts when taxes are higher. And one of the reactions, one of the effects uh, from higher taxes on uh, businesses is reduced wages from the people who work for those businesses. Uh, So firstly, there's that issue. And then there's the issue... It's not just rich people that own uh, corporations. The fact is anybody who has an RSP, anyone who has a mutual fund, they own um, shares of corporations as well, and they wind up uh, paying some of the taxes. So, yes, you can go ahead. You can try and raise some money uh, by raising the corporate income tax. But if you think you're only getting the 1% with that, you're mistaken. So, once again, uh, the, the bottom line from our study and the, the difficult reality that we all need to face if you want to try and raise money that way, uh, if you think you're only getting the 1%, you're mistaken. You're, you're touching people across the income spectrum uh, with that kind of tax increase. So, so what is the answer? How do we streamline it? How do we you know, get enough money in the coffers to run those programs that Canadians have depended on, the Canadians need, uh, but you know, do it in a way that uh, has the least amount of impact to, to, to every Canadian taxpayer? Well, running the programs that Canadians depend on, running the programs that Canadians need, obviously efficient program delivery is that is necessary for that. But that's an interesting question 
Uh, but that's a little bit different. We're saying if you want much more, mm-hmm. that everyone's going to have to pay for it. So if you want dramatically more uh, government services, then then you're going to have to have broader, uh, broader broader tax increases across the board. So the question is, um, is that what you want? Is that what is that is it worth it to pay an extra, let's say, ten points in sales tax for a significantly larger uh, federal government, which we calculate as approximately what you need? Uh, if you want to simply pay for the services we have. Uh, maintain uh, important program services people need. You need to try and do things like keep debt low so you don't waste money on interest payments, uh, make sure that the government is spending in, in areas of greatest importance, and try and do away with spending in areas of less. Uh, but those are the important steps that you can take. What we're looking at today is if you want to do a lot more, you've got to raise taxes on the middle class. Uh, but if you're going to maintain the current spending level, you don't need to do that. Uh, you just need to find smarter ways to spend money uh, to, avoid, to avoid additional taxes altogether. 2022 federal budget comes down tomorrow. Thank you for your time this morning, Ben. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Bye-bye. Thank you. Ben Eisen, Senior Fellow with the Fraser Institute, FraserInstitute.org. It's interesting because I would think that most people would say, hey, hey, listen, I'm fine. We'll make do. I mean, we look bigger the government. I've always been a, what can we hack? What can we slash? What is necessary? But what moves I think, us ahead? I think more people want. We want, 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 want. We're just not willing to pay for it. Well, let's just slap that tax on the rich, right? We want all these things, but yeah, are you good willing point. to pay the price? All <laughs> of us, are we all willing to pay that price? We can't just slough it off on somebody else. I think you and I have both chronicled, and I, I've said this to you, I think you've had a similar experience with, with my kids, for example. I say, I want this, and I say, is it a need? Mm-hmm. Is it a necessity? Is it a need, or is it a want? Is it something... I want lots of things, yeah. too, but if don't need them all. Yeah, and if it's a need, you know, mom and dad will take care of you. Mm-hmm. We understand. If it's a want, that's on you. And I've had it and encountered it many times, and I'll draw an analogy here. Hey, I want this. And I say, well, it's a want. You pay for it. And they say, well, yeah, I don't want to use my money. <laughs> exactly. I, I don't use want to use my money. money. So that, that could be what we're talking about here. We'd like flashier things. We'd like extras. For sure. But I don't want to pay for it. So how do you feel about that? Do you want to pay for things? Do you think things are good as they are? What are we expecting in the budget? I think it could be an interesting one coming down tomorrow from the feds. Like, I, wait and see, right? Oh, just a little over 24 hours and we'll know the answer to that for Very sure. Very exciting. It's almost like Christmas. Well, could a pet-friendly workplace become the norm and help companies retain talent? With insight in navigating this ever-evolving workplace, we are joined by Mark Bordeaux, co-founder and CEO of Vetster. Good morning to you, Mark. Good morning. Uh, thanks for having me on today. Thank you for being here. We appreciate your time. This sounds very interesting. And, you know, I think that a lot of people we were talking off air may have acquired a pet during the pandemic and may have some separation anxiety. Is that part of this move? I think it, it is definitely a big part of the move. I think in addition to separation anxiety from all the pets that were adopted over the last few years, it's just coming up with a big care plan and understanding how you're going to care for your pet maybe when you return back to work. So there's a lot of sort of new strategies and costs uh, associated with it. And we wanted to raise some awareness about um, some of the things that employees uh, could be struggling with right now. You know, a, a potential for you know businesses to be able to attract new talent and to keep the talent that they have. But what does that actually look like, a pet-friendly workplace, Mark? I mean, we're not talking everybody gets to bring their dog in and it sits under their desk. I'm assuming, do, do we mean like pet daycare within a, a workplace? <laughs> well, if you're talking about Vetster, you are talking about your dog sitting under your desk all day. Um, I always like to say that Pet-friendly offices, you know, first and foremost, they're not for everybody. They're not for every company. I think it's important that employers need to pull and understand if 
their um, if their workspace is suitable for this. But if it is, it's it's a wonderful experience. Um, at any time at Vetster, we have uh, five, six, seven dogs running around the office. Um, obviously, the dogs need to be very well behaved, very um, sociable, and and you know not cause a lot of uh, disturbance during the day. Um, but it's it's been an incredible experience over the past couple of years with animals in the vet store office and uh, some other pet friendly offices. And I'm guessing the process to set something like like this up, Mark, it's not just a hey, starting on Monday, everybody bring in <laughs> Rover. There must be some consultation. You have to probably take into account, you know, uh, allergies, etc. It's, it's got to be a bit of a workup, isn't it? Yeah, and I think also your employees have to all be very comfortable around dogs. Um, you know, for some, it would be a very new experience. So, yeah, there's a lot of planning and a lot of, um, you know, I would say company polling and just, you know, really ensuring that the animals are a right fit to the office. But I will say again that when you find that they are the right fit, it does so much for mental health. It does so much for uh, retaining employees and, of course, bringing in new employees into the workspace. What about if I have a cat that thinks it's a dog? <laughs> <laughs> well, there's lots of different problems with that, but <laughs> I think at least you know every office will be different. But for the vet store offices right now, we have um, we're only having dogs um, in the office at this time. Uh, we find just uh, for you know the disturbance and them all getting along, it's been easier that way. Mark, is it is it sorry is it age groups you know kind of specific that you're seeing people or is it uh, you know of all sets I, I kind of you know is it millennials can we can we say it's millennials that want to work with their pets or is it everybody? I think it's really everyone. I think the scope of work has changed so much over the past couple of years, and it was you know certainly there's been a large adoption rate from millennials over the past few years, but um, I would say even you know your older employees are you know want to come to work now in a different way with their pets and. They've become very attached to their pets over the past couple of years, spending so much time with them at home. So right from the first question, the separation anxiety is a real thing, whether you're a millennial or whether you're getting on your career. Talked about the importance of doing this to retain talent. Do you have any data, Mark, on productivity if we have our pets with us in the office? It's, you know what, we don't have direct data uh, today on that. I think it's still a very new concept, so gathering the data uh, will evolve. But really what we notice is that, one, the mental health of the employees uh, has drastically changed and people um, are communicating and getting together around the water cooler maybe with employees they, they wouldn't have in the past. And also we find it really humanizes your workforce. So you see your coworkers in a certain light at work every single day, and that person drastically changes when they're sitting next to a cuddly dog and, you know, and going for a walk with a coworker or a meeting in a walk, uh, it, it's really changed the uh, the way people socialize and really a different way to get to know your, your coworkers. Super interesting conversation. Thank you, Mark. Appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Have a great day. You too. Mark Bordeaux, co-founder and CEO of Vetster. You can find them at vetster.com. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcast, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. And tune in to Mornings with Sue and Andy from 530 to 9 every weekday morning on 770 CHQR.